welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Turn the Page uh, podcast. My name is Kay. I'm one of the librarians here. I work in the Reader Services Department, and I have the absolute pleasure to interview for the second time one of my favorite authors, um, and I would like for her to introduce herself, and then we'll talk about her newest book. Hi, I'm Olivia Dade. I am a romance author, and I'm absolutely delighted to be back to chat with you again. And Reader's Advisory, when I was a librarian, was my favorite, so... I think that you're a fantastic person to talk to. Oh, thanks. I actually, so we had our title swap yesterday um, because I did finish reading your newest book, which is called At First Spite. Um, and I finished it because I got the net galley like two months ago. And uh, yesterday I was like screaming about it at the title swap. I was like, it's really good. And it comes out next week and we're doing the interview. Um, so that's, you know, it's all related. And um, I do try to push some like, unconventional romances at some people and um, things that are new and fun and exciting, which is exactly how I describe all of your books. Um, well, th so. thank you so much for reading my book and being, you know, kind and enthusiastic about it. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yep. Yeah, my coworker yesterday described me as an Olivia Dade evangelist. So <laughs> have you heard the good news of efforts? <laughs> And actually, since our last interview, I've read all of your books um, and I, I've enjoyed every single one of them. You know, I got my favorites here and there. Um, At First Spite is definitely going on the favorite list. Top five, I want to say. So um, we should probably talk about it. Uh, let's go about it. Let's. So what is At First Spite about? At First Spite is a story of Athena, who's a woman who was engaged to be married and her engagement ends about a month for the wedding. And due to circumstances or what some people call uh, capital R, capital R romance reasons, uh, she is forced to move into uh, a 10 foot wide spite house, which we can discuss what that is later, uh, that she bought for her ex-fiance as a wedding gift because she really doesn't have any other options. Uh, and that 10 foot wide house is actually only a wall away from her ex-fiance and only a four foot alleyway away from his older brother who happens to be the person who convinced her ex-fiance to leave her. So once she's there, she decides to take um, some petty revenge because revenge is a dish best served petty. <laughs> she would say, uh, and then finds maintaining her anger increasingly difficult for a number of reasons. And of course, they, they fall in love because it, it's a romance. Of course. Yeah. Can't have it. It's her that. and the older brother, not her ex-fiance. Right. Correct. Correct. Yes. I actually enjoyed uh, that the ex-fiance was absent for most of the book, which was wonderful mm -hmm. because it definitely gave Athena like a chance to kind of heal from that and learn from it without him being around, which I thought was cool. Um, but I also wanted to say, I love how spiteful Athena is. She's not mean about it. No. I mean, she she's, I want to be, and that was something I tried to tread the line. Like things that were petty and funny, but not mean. So like one of the things she did, which was one of my favorite bits, was that she called up uh, all the local multi-level uh, marketing companies like 
Avon and Tupperware, like Lululemon, whatever, like all the and and like told all of them that gave his number and address and said he wanted to host parties. So, and that if he said no right away, they should keep trying to convince him because he really did want to do it. He was just reluctant. Uh, And also signed him up for like a bunch of politicians' newsletters. As someone who has done that to an ex, I can say it is very gratifying. (laughs) So it's, there's a, there's a, a part on Reddit that's called, am I the, the a-hole? A-hole. Thing. And she writes, yeah, she writes into that so that the entire internet can declare him the a-hole. Um, so yes, it's all stuff that is is satisfying and petty, but not actually like harmful or mean. Or I guess I guess opinion on that could differ. But in my mind, it, it didn't cross any sort of lines that would make it would make her less sympathetic to me at least but obviously I wrote her so I'm kind of biased I love her yeah she's I, I of most of your leading ladies or all of your leading ladies I think she's one of my favorites she she feels not that they don't all feel real but she does feel like she's got like that extra like 3d-ness about her um especially when she has to deal with like her mental health towards the middle of the book um and I actually want to talk to you about that too because I felt like that was really well written and well researched and I kind of wanted to know like where you came to that you know did you do like some research did you have any friends who may have struggled this way um well first I should say that part of the reason I the main thing that sort of drew me to writing Athena was that I realized that pretty much all of my um, recent female main characters had been buried together like even if they weren't entirely sure if of their future path or were between jobs, they just fundamentally, they were going to be fine no matter what. And I decided that it, I would really like to write a messy sort of female main character um, who was sort of unsure about everything in her life, basically destabilized from everything in her life, including work, personal relationships, you know, where she lives, all of that. Um, And that all of those things would work together with some things that she hadn't really addressed in her own head that she'd been sort of running from by overworking or by throwing herself into her wedding that didn't happen she had sort of avoided the issue of the fact that she was increasingly depressed uh and so part of what the story is about is yeah is is about that as well because she does have a depressive episode because basically everything stabilizing in her life has been taken away from her at this point and Right. As far as how I uh, did that, I mean, you know, I read things, obviously, uh, in newspapers and things like that. But frankly, it was from my own personal experience, like much more so than most of my other books, like Athena and that portion of things is sort of ripped directly from my heart. This was it wasn't a hard book to write in the sense that the words came relatively easily, but it was a hard book to write emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was because, you know, about a year into the pandemic, I got super depressed. Um, and, you know, some of the things that Athena experiences are things I experienced too. And I think sometimes, as I think Tessa Dare once said, you write what you need to read. And it was important for me to write a female main character who was struggling and messy and sort of assert that she's still worthy of love and can be loved despite that. 
Yeah. I, as someone who's been through a very similar situation and, you know, I have a lot of friends who are also depressed and we've all had our episodes and I think it was really good that Athena pulled herself out of it, but also that there was somebody there, Matthew, who was able to be gentle with her while it was happening. And that helped her be gentle with herself, uh, even going forwards. Um, you know, I think we all we all hope that somebody is like that. You know, somebody will be there for us like that. So, and because of some of the things that Matthew has done to destabilize her life, I think it was important for him to show up for her in that way, because he is a character who would care that like he helped sort of bring her to that spot. Mm -hmm. Um, even though that wasn't it wasn't all him. There was a lot of other stuff happening. He was just an easy an easy person to blame for her. Uh, but yeah, it was important to me. The scene sort of toward the center of the book where he kind of shows up for her in a big way was one of the two or three scenes that I knew I wanted to write from the beginning of the book. Like I plot everything else out bef before I start that. Usually I have one or two scenes in mind where I really wanted to write them. And that was one of them. But it was also important to me that he be loving and be there for her, but that I wanted to be clear that like that doesn't solve depression. <laughs> like, no, yeah, that his no. <laughs> love, that his love alone is not going to fix things. Um, there are things she has to deal with, with you know, in her case, medication and therapy and and sort of reframing her thoughts in various ways, um, and that's going to take time. It's not something where like, you know, he's going to be like, "No, your thoughts are not accurate about yourself," and she'd be like, "You know, you're right." Yeah, it's I not feel like that. now. <laughs> it's not like you're cured. But he, but he does help her like set her feet on the right path. And I think that was right. a very, you know, that was the best way I think you could have written that. And that right. was the way that it, that's the way it should happen. That's the way, you know, sometimes you just need someone to turn you a little bit. Right. Like, the, the, the road is there. You should head that way. Right. Uh, yeah. So that I, I did love that part of the book. Uh, it caught me a little off guard because we don't usually see that in romance novels, but I think it was important for it to be there. And I do like that she's messy, you know? Yeah. I mean, that was having a female main character who had a depressive episode that was messy and depressive episode. <laughs> Which is like, yay, rom-com. I swear it is funny as well. Yes. And it is funny. I like that she also had to educate him on meme culture. Which I thought was great because at some point, Athena calls into the radio station and Rick rolls him. And I think that's so funny. And he's like upset, not because he's been Rickrolled, but because he doesn't like the song. <laughs> but has no idea why anyone would, like does not know about Rickrolling, has no idea why anyone would actually dedicate that song to him. Yeah. And wonders whether it was like a declaration of affection. That was so funny. <laughs> really good to have that comedy in there. You got to balance it, right? <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of Matthew... I did want to talk a little bit about how you shaped his character because, again, this is a, a romance novel and he doesn't have a lot of experience in that department. So how did you like come to shape him to be like this? Where did he come from? When I sort of looked at how I wanted things to happen, he had to have a good reason for breaking up the wedding. And that meant that sort of his, his sort of sense of... Um, sort of quasi-parental responsibility for his younger brother, Johnny, her her ex-fiancé, 
had to be very powerful. Like his sense of responsibility toward Johnny and sort of how he allows Johnny, even as an adult, to sort of rely on him very heavily. Um, there had to be powerful reasons for that. So I, that's why I sort of, you know, work through his backstory. And then having done that with him basically having raised his younger brother since he was eight, I thought to myself, originally it was not my intent to make him quite as inexperienced as he is. But then I sort of tried to picture in my head, because I always like to think about what are their exes like? And I tried to think of what Matthew's ex would be. And I'm like, when would he have time? Yeah. When would he have time between like, you know, he had going to medical school and raising his younger brother and then starting like the medical profession and then making his own practice and then getting his younger brother through school and getting his younger brother into med school and then helping his younger brother in the practice too. Like when, like the, the, the sort of man that I had sort of created, when would he have time to date? Yeah. Especially with medical school and, and quasi parenting, exactly what you say. Yeah. It sounds like his, his life was very hard. And when do you have time when you're not taking care of yourself too? Right. And so it just, I could not think of a plausible, I mean, I guess I could have said, well, he, he had sort of brief relationships here and there, but he just thought, as I created him, he wasn't someone who would enjoy casual relationships. Like that wouldn't be something he would enjoy. So he would want someone that, and it just didn't make sense to me. Like when I started trying to think through what it, what an ex would be like for him, I couldn't, I couldn't come up with something. So I was like, well, here we go. <laughs> but I also, I didn't, I'll just say it. Cause I guess at this point we sort of danced around it. Like that he, he is, he's not had sex before, mm. but I, I also didn't want to somehow fetishize that. So like we have a little fun with it, but I didn't want it to be like a, a huge deal either. So I wasn't like harping on it from the beginning. Like he's not bemoaning his state <laughs> like throughout the book. It's just some, it's just a fact. Some people get older in their lives and for whatever reason, you know, don't have a lot of sexual experience and he's one of them. And like, you know, Athena sort of enjoys teaching him a little bit, but it's not, it's not like, um, like I, I, I tried not to sort of fetishize it either. I think you did a good job of that. Yeah. I think, I think he feels believable just like Athena does. And, you know, when you do look at like the way you have his life plotted out, how we learn about it in the book, it makes sense. Yeah. Speaking of our two leads, uh, how do you balance the forces that keep them together and also keep them separate? So for like most of the book, a lot of what keeps them apart is Johnny himself. Um, and, you know, the situation of the broken up engagement, um, and then what brings them together, at least in my head, what brought them together was, you know, they start to kind of have a little bit of fun together. They start to talk more like they did at the museum at the beginning of the book. They learn more about each other. But like, how do you balance that in this kind of book? In my head canon, you know, death of the author, the whole idea that, you know, once you've written a book, it is no longer yours. The book is whatever you, what, however you conceive it to be when you read it, that is, that's the book. Um, so my intentions serve matter less than what's <laughs> however you read it, but said my head canon for my own book was that, um, that if, had Athena not already been engaged when they met at the engagement party, that it essentially was very close to love at first sight for both of them. 
but that she's engaged already. Um, and things are messy already because unbeknownst, you know, without actually meeting her, he's been trying to convince his brother to end the relationship for a variety of reasons. Um, and so I would, I think I tried to play it in the book that there is always sort of an intellectual and physical attraction there, but that's those things that was undercut for a long time by first the fact that she's engaged to his brother and is not gonna do anything to jeopardize that or be unfaithful to his brother uh and the fact that she realizes he's been kind of saying not nice things about her so so like attraction has a hard time existing <laughs> within that um and then there's the fact that she uh a lot of her sort of despair over her life, instead of sort of acknowledging that part of this is depression, he's sort of an easy thing to point to, to say, you caused this. Yeah. You know, um, and so it's hard to sort of have a relationship then. On his part, what's keeping them apart is if you've convinced your younger brother to leave her, how do you say to your younger brother, I convinced you to to cancel the wedding and end the engagement, but now I would like to date her. Which so messy? How do you, <laughs> do you so messy? Um, so for him, there's a real sense of um, that she is she's someone he he cannot have. You know, as much as again from basically first meeting her, for the moment he meets her, she's someone. She's already out of his reach because she's engaged to his brother. So even when she's no longer engaged, he still perceives her as being someone who, as much as he may care about her and be attracted to her, that he cannot act on that right. because it would be a betrayal of his brother. Uh, and so what brings them together is, I think, when he sees sort of her need, that she needs someone and that for whatever, for a variety of reasons, he is that someone who can be there for her when she is sort of at her lowest, at her lowest and struggling and that he wants to be there for her. That's sort of the time when he begins to open himself up more to, to her and to the, eventually to the possibility of, of a relationship with her. And for her sake, she can't really go there with Matthew until she is sort of at a point where she's got her head a little bit more together so she can feel attraction and like you know like a lot of things about him but I didn't feel great about them acting on that until until she was serving a place where I don't think he would want to act on it until that's why they did not get together until she was actually feeling better yeah, because I don't. I think he would want to be very careful not to take advantage of her, and I think that until she got her head together, sometimes like romance and would not have been like top on her list. However, she was drawn to him, even though she was drawn to him. Does that make? Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I just like talking about this book with you, so I'm enjoying any answer you give me. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna also say. Um, I made the comment at my title swap yesterday that this was one of your longer books, but then I went and looked at actually how long all your books are. And this is like average for you, 400 pages. But for a mm -hmm. romance novel or a rom-com, 400 pages, pretty long. 
a lot of them are like less than 300. I think it, I think it works with your writing. I'm not complaining about the length, believe me. <laughs> but in this book, I did notice that the characters really get together like three quarters of the way through the book. And I feel like in your earlier books, like especially Shipwrecked, which is, I mean, they do get together officially later in Shipwrecked, but they kind of hook up three pages into the book, five pages into something like that. Oh, first page, they're hooking up. So page see, one. <laughs> first page, we have we have the sex scene. Um, and in this book, it was like 280, 300 pages in. Um, so I think that's, I like that you can balance that. Like you write a good story regardless of where you put your scene. You know, like I was still interested in following these two characters throughout without like the, the titillation at the beginning, basically. To me, the first parts of the book, before they actually have sort of um, physical intimacy, to me, it was still super romantic. That even though they're not together in the sense that there's no physical intimacy, their lives are very intertwined and they're in each other's sort of lives and space and learning about each other and sort of fighting attraction on his part, a certain amount of attraction on hers, but also sort of learning about him and who he is. Um, so to me, even though officially, I guess you can say they don't get together sort of romantically in a sense of physical intimacy until that far in the book. Um, I mean, I would, I, I guess my intent was whether it comes through or not for there to be, for it to feel romantic even earlier though. Um, hopefully. But my the story to me, whatever story I've created will tell me when sex makes sense, when kissing and sex and sort of intimacy makes sense within the story. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't see how the characters as I drew them just would not have had, particularly Matthew, I would say. Athena, particularly when she wasn't doing well, may have been sort of reckless and kind of careless with herself that maybe she would have, but I think she would have maybe hated herself for it afterwards. I didn't want to write that. And I don't think he would have no. before that time. So you kind of got to do what it might, I feel like what the, what the character sort of demand and the plot that you've created, that sort of determines when there's physical intimacy when the intimacy happens, I try to keep sort of a, a reliable level of heat, so, but where that intimacy will happen and when may shift depending on the book. Because I do try to sort of individualize the books based on the story I'm telling in the characters in it, rather than having sort of set at 50%, you must do X is <laughs> not really how I write. So yeah. When I used to work in teens and I would have parents be like concerned about like, well, is there, is there a scene in this? I'd be like, all right, well, the book's 280 pages, turn to page 210. And if there's a sex scene, like, so you're right. Like the, you could fall into a formulaic kind of thing. And sometimes that has happened with books. I like that you don't do that. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised by how like the slow burn of this book. I think it, I think exactly what you're saying that like it suited the characters better to like, they need to start. First of all, they're enemies at the beginning, you know, they enemies, they don't hate each other, but like they're definitely on opposite ends of like this conflict that they have um, about the marriage and the cancellation of this. And so they kind of have to work their way even to tolerating each other and then liking each other and then liking each other. So 
you know, you're right. Yeah, it makes sense. Each story has its own timeline and you have to make sense of it. You know, sometimes it works the other way. Like the book that I'm in the midst of editing, uh, at one point, I guess I don't even know what percentage I was through the story, but I'd intended it for me to be a kissing scene. And then I was like, why aren't they having sex? Like, is there a reason they're not having sex? And I'm like, there's no reason they're not having sex because it's um, what's keeping them apart is more external action-y stuff rather than sort of anything keeping them apart internally. So I'm like, if they've got a shot at it. So I was like, all right, here we go. Well, why not? <laughs> is that going to be your second Harlot's Bay book? It's actually going to be my first in a uh, paranormal series for Berkeley. Oh. Right. We talked about that a little bit last time. Yeah, Zomrom comes. So Zom yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, that that one the one that's what I'm editing right now. Okay, so cool. Yeah, I'm excited because I got to the end of At First Spite and was like, the next book comes out fall this year. What's happening? So I'm really excited for that one to come. Let me ask you about this. I am curious uh about where you got your names for Harlot's Bay and what's that place, the Slattern something or other? I'm blanking. I just finished the book. Trumpet Square. That's what it is. Trumpet Square. Square. Yes. I just, you know, I, I, I was doing sort of like a serve my version of a small town sort of setting, Mm -hmm. but I'm really not the sort of person who's going to do, I want to have fun with it. If you're going to make up, a small town setting like you might as well have some fun with it and so I was I decided that it would be sort of a town for um runaway women eventually like and eventually obviously like non-binary people and other people as well and and men and so forth but and people of all genders but it was founded by runaway women sort of who'd burned down their lives in some fashion and were rebuilding. And I just really liked that idea. And I also got to have a lot of fun with sort of old timey insults for women that they reclaimed. And so, you know, that it was Harlot's Bay and the Strumpet Square and like, um, the there's in Maryland at the, um, the historic area of St. Mary's County, they have like an old ship, like a rep, a, re, a reproduction of an old ship called the Maryland Dove. Okay. And I was like, well, this would be called clearly the Maryland Virago. Well, <laughs> all these just, I, I just had a lot of fun with old timey insults for women that get reclaimed. My personal, my books that are self-published, my publisher name is Hussies and Harvey's Press. So. I love that. Yeah. That's so funny. So, well, and, and in our previous interview too, we did talk about the um, the harpy thing. I'm still going to make a t-shirt. It's going to happen eventually. <laughs> I'll wear it to work. <laughs> They'll love that at the library. Uh, but actually it's, it's funny that, you know, you, you made your town history be that women ran away from their problems to go here. And that's exactly what Athena does. So right. she was in the right place. She needed to be there. Right. I thought it would be sort of fun to have to have that sort of synchronicity within it. And because I'm me, I had like I, I did research like Maryland history and be like, well, when would this occur? And like <laughs> there's a lot that I, I cut out. Like I had a couple pages of it. My editor's like, Olivia. <laughs> the special interest like, is showing. Pull it back. Down. I'm like, 
if you want like a multi-page treatise on how the ship shipyard <laughs> me about it i could talk about coastal trade <laughs> i'm like no it's a romance i can't i can't I think you already pushed the envelope by even talking about a spite house and, and doing a whole <laughs> book about spite houses. <laughs> Every time I hand sell this book, which has been a few times, even though I don't have it yet in hand, I'm always like, it's coming. I've had to say like, oh, it's about a woman who buys a spite house and people look mm-hmm. at me like nuts. And I'm like, well, spite house is, here's the history. And then people are like, that's actually very funny. I, I know, I know it is. So... And yeah. multiple towns have them. Like, it's not just, I mean, the most famous one is the one in Boston. Right. Also called the Skinny House. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of how I pictured the setup for my, you know, for Athena's and Matthew's and Johnny's row homes. But, I mean, a lot of towns have them because, I mean, people are people. <laughs> and property law is weird. And a lot of them... You know, they, uh, my agent sent me a TikTok about this woman who has this wedge-shaped home that oh apparently she divorced, she and her husband divorced and she didn't get half the house, but she got like part of the property. And so she built this like tiny wedge-shaped house oh to like basically block his view out the front of this house. Good for her. So, <laughs> I mean, it is a spite house. So spite house. It's. It happens. And like, sometimes there's neighbors who have disputes and like they, there's all sorts of stuff that happens. So um, I had, I had some fun researching that. So another thing I noticed, I liked, uh, you had a five year later epilogue, which I usually don't like. <laughs> and for one thing, I was like, no, this is good. Cause now we see them like where they should be, where they're supposed to right. be. And uh not to like give anything away because you should read the book and then get to the five-year epilogue. <laughs> um, but I I enjoyed, again, usually I'm like, oh, great. Like five years later, where are they? But for once I was like, no, I want to know. I want to know where these people are. I want to know where they landed, you know? I think because both of them sort of had to sort of go through a lot to reach their happily ever after. Yeah. And that, you know, some of this stuff happened later in the book. Like, as you said, the relationship happens, the the more intimate, overtly romantic part of the relationship happens later in the book. It, I think it was important to like show that this is, this is not going to fall apart as something happens with his brother. I wanted to sort of revisit them a few years later where she's in a better place, where he's in a better place and that they're together and happy. Like, I'm not a big fan of like baby logs, (laughs) like the epilogues where it's like, Oh, we're having a baby. And like, that's just not really what I do, but it was, I, first of all, I actually do. I love epilogues. Like I love epilogues. I love prologues. I love all of it. But, um, and, and readers often do like, like to see the couple sort of happy later. But in this case, I thought it was particularly important. Um, but just because of the structure of the book, uh, and sort of everything they'd overcome to sort of see them later to cement the happy ending more firmly. Gotcha. I think what you just said is is my opinion. I don't like baby logs. I think that's yeah. exactly what it is. Because I, I just read a book, and I will not name names. We will not. We will not slander another book. But I just read a book, and it was like 
three years later, oh, we have a baby. And I was like, no, I don't like this anymore. Like I liked it. And then you did that. And now like you've lost half a star in my rating because I don't like it. <laughs> I love my own kid who's 14 now. But to me, babies are the antithesis of romance for me personally. <laughs> for children in general, I just find it makes, I mean, that said, like, I think it can be done. It's just not my natural inclination. Yeah. Um, my friend and extremely talented writer, um, she used to write as Ruby Lane, but she wrote a new book as Opal Way called Wildlife. It just came out like a week or two ago. And it has, um, it has my favorite baby log of all time because it's not a human baby. There's, <laughs> it's a, it's an homage to bringing up baby. Okay. And so, like, there's a baby log, but it, it's not a human baby. So I was like, this is my favorite baby log. That's really funny. <laughs> of all time, I love her very that. much. That's great. I'll have to go find that book. Maybe we already have it here at the library. You may, you may. It got some good. I mean, she's super talented. So, yeah, I got so excited because, again, a year, like a year ago, pretty much almost to the day, we talked about At First Spite. And then I saw it, like, it showed up in one of the journals, like, a few months ago. And I was like, ah. and I grabbed it, literally ran over to my supervisor, like, they got a starred review. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, library journal. That made me yes. super happy. It was, that yeah, made it was me very, very journal. happy. And then uh, Library Reads this month put it on their thing, too. And again, I was like, it's happening. <laughs> we, I think we should probably call this while we're while we're on the high because we've been talking for half an hour. And yeah, is there anything else you want to tell us about At First Spite? It's out on the February 13th. So it will have been out a couple of days by the time this goes live. And for all the serious stuff that we talked about, I also think it's very, very funny um my goal for the book was for it to be sort of emotionally rich in every way that it be sort of uh there might be some hard parts emotionally but I think there's a lot of places where you can laugh too and I think it's a warm and sweet book about found family as well as about all the other things that we discussed including pranking someone by contacting companies uh and and thank you to everyone who reads it i'm really proud of this book i think it's some of the best writing i've ever done and if you read it i hope you love it well i thought it was excellent i did love it so i'm so happy we got to talk to you about it today and that we covered so many great topics and uh, i guess that's it for this episode of turn the page thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you next time it's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.